I'm Nick Abrahams, and welcome to Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, the podcast where we talk about how technologies like crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse are being successfully embraced by mainstream businesses. Ladies and gentlemen, regulation is a critical issue right at the moment. Everyone's talking about it post-FTX, and I'm delighted today to uh, welcome on the show uh, an Australian politician who has been at the forefront, not only in Australia, but globally, around what we should be doing with the regulation of cryptocurrencies, digital assets, and so forth. Uh, so, Senator Bragg, welcome to the podcast. G'day, Nick. So, um, just jumping into it, you know, you're one of the very few Australian politicians who's really leaned into the crypto, NFT, and Web3 world. It's it's you know it's a it's a world that's you know it's reasonably complex. It's also sort of a bit mired in fraud and other things. Um, sort of what what brought you interested interest into this space? Well, I mean, basically, Josh Frydenberg said to me, uh, "What do you know about crypto?" And I said, "Look, not a lot." And uh, uh, neither of us were sure whether it was good or bad. So uh, I went into the Senate inquiry, which I chaired back in 2021 with quite an open mind. And um, I guess I came out of it with a view that the technology was potentially quite positive in that it could disrupt existing industries and provide people with more choices and options and lower prices, I guess. Um, of course, I was aware of the reputational issues that came with the, the sector, and I'm not spruiking any particular product or offering in my role yeah but certainly i think the technology has utility and uh that uh, that that remains my view so we ought to harness that uh for two reasons firstly to provide those those new options but also for risk management right right so protecting our people and yeah and in terms of are there sort of specific opportunities that you think Sort of exist for Australia in that Web three space. Have we, based on what you've seen, do you think we've got a, a you know decent role to play in the Australian ecosystem? Well, I think Australia has a series of natural advantages here. I mean, we're the twelfth biggest economy. We have a significant financial sector. We've proven ourselves to be successful in mainstream technology, and it's a great place to live. It's a great place to start a business. So. There are some natural advantages. Clearly, the policy needs to keep, keep pace, though, with the sector's evolution. When I, when I say sector, I mean it's it's keeping pace with technology. It's keeping pace with the development uh, of new ideas. So you need to have tax and regulation that's going to promote your competitive position. So ultimately, if you do that, you'll have more jobs, you'll have better choices for your citizens. Um, but it's challenging. It's a challenging thing to try and do. I think we we tried to make a fist of it when we were in government. I think the the new government is finding that it's quite difficult. Yeah, it's a it's a funny balancing act that you've got there with uh, reg regulation of this space. Because on one view, there's the the idea of oh, you don't want to stymie innovation, um, and then on the other view, you know, you don't want fraudsters getting away with things. And we saw that I think with the internet early on you know in the late 90s it was pretty much free reign and in fact 
you know, it was very regulatory light for the first sort of decade or so. We've seen some obviously, you know, big companies uh, really gain the benefit of that. But how do you how do you see that tension, you know, from a from a government point of view with with laws around this? That tension between don't want to stymie innovation, but want to make sure that we, we've got uh, you know the right regulatory settings. Well, I mean, from the, the starting point, it's clear you can't have regulatory arbitrage. I mean, you can't have a whole financial sector which has yeah. a huge amount of pervasive regulation, and then you have no no regulation elsewhere um, where there are things that are looking more and more like financial products. So you have to have a reasonable – you can't have regulatory arbitrage. That's the first point. Uh, and that, that goes for everything you need to know. I mean, you can't have regulation of the real world and you know, not have regulation of the internet. So apart from that, you've just got to be prepared to put something on the table. And I think the countries that have been able to do that, uh, such, such as the US state of Wyoming or in the UK – uh, they've been able to already attract capital and are building themselves up as digital asset, building themselves up as digital asset hubs already. So, uh, I think you want to try and apply the road rules uh, which exists in the real world as much as possible. Yeah, and I think that's probably what we've seen, uh, sort of in the in the in the general internet space, where there was, you know, in the early days of the internet, people were saying, "Oh, we'll need specific." laws for the internet and there'll be global internet laws and so forth which of course never happened so mm. I mean, as much as possible i guess we can use what we've got um I, I, i'm wondering how does this sort of all work in your mind because another thing that we've wrestled with in the in the internet space is how do you regulate organizations that aren't located in your geography and then it takes it one step further in the current situation with crypto and so forth, where with some of the truly deregulated platforms and DAOs and so forth, you know, arguably there's there's no individual, there's no sort of responsible entity uh, anywhere, and so it's operated on code and so forth. I mean, how do you how do you think about that when when trying to promulgate regulation? We well, shouldn't be trying to set in place anything that's too ambitious yep. uh, on a global scale because you need to lock down some domestic laws to start with. I think once you've done that, then you can try and collaborate. I mean, I've had a number of discussions with US uh, senators, including Senator Lummis from Wyoming, yep. uh, about how we might be able to collaborate. I mean, I think once Australia has, so for, for example, once Australia has its own laws on digital assets, then I think we're in a, in a position to be able to try and work with our colleagues abroad, I think given the nature of the economic insecurity implications of these matters now, it would make sense for us to start with the, the natural groupings we have around the Five Eyes and the AUKUS and the uh, and the Quad perhaps um, and try and agree on some, some common definitions and standards. Um, you know, and then in the future you might even have some sort of passporting regime or mutual recognition that comes into place here. So I think that's that's my view on, which is the same point you just made about the internet regulation. I mean, you need to regulate the domestic arrangements first, then perhaps you can try and agree on some common standards abroad, but uh, you've got to do the first part. Um, and then beyond that, I think it's it's you also want to see some regulatory competition. Uh, and so I think if we are able to maintain, I mean, 
we've now had six months uh, since the Australian federal election and not much progress has been made on actually implementing the policies that were announced before the last election. Um, if we were able to keep pace with the policy that had been announced, I mean, we would be one of the first countries that would have bettered down, you know, detailed digital asset laws. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and getting into that, because, I mean, you've obviously been a great proponent of of regulating the space in a in a reasonable way, and you introduced mm-hmm. a private member's bill into parliament in, in September uh, 2022 to regulate certain aspects of crypto. Maybe if we drop a, a bit into the detail of that, because I think right at the moment, particularly post-FTX, there's sort of a, mm. a cry across the world of, we need to regulate this. And and that's easy said, um, but you've actually gone to the trouble of figuring out how you actually do it and, you you know, with your private members bill. Maybe we, we start off with, so I think there's sort of three key areas, but maybe we start off with sort of how you see um, regulation of digital asset exchanges. Well, my view was that you wouldn't try and regulate every single token individually. You'd try and regulate the gatekeepers, again, drawing on financial regulation principles here. So you regulate the market, you regulate the broker, uh, you regulate them and the market maker, I guess, Um, and they would have a licensing arrangement that would fit that particular purpose. which would include fit and proper person tests, governance risk management, um, segregation of customer accounts, auditing, so on and so forth. You'd also have, I mean, in the Australian context, I mean, I'm not, you know, you wouldn't do it for every function, but you'd have to have some function on shore, or at least, if not a function, you'd have to have a, you'd have to have an individual or a board. You have to have something, yeah, uh, in order to get an Australian license. So that that was the that was the main idea. Now, if we'd had that in place, and FTX was a regulated Australian licensee, I mean, there would have been segregation of customer accounts. So, if they were complying with the law, then the custom custom money would not have been uh, would not have been able to bleed into the you know the corporate accounts, for example. Yeah. So I think that that's a that's a compelling reason to do it. So that that bill does a range of other things as well, but certainly in relation to putting down a in an Australian parlance, the way I, I think of it is um, when you go to the beach, you have two flags. Uh, those are patrolled beaches. You know, in effect, that's what you'd be getting if you had an Australian licensed crypto market, that you'd be getting some consumer protection because you'd have you, – look, you would have the corporate regulator standing behind it. I mean, this is still no guarantee that everything's going to be safe. Yeah. But, but certainly you've got the guarantee of there being a regulator sitting behind it, and behind that regulator you've got a parliament parliamentary committees trying to focus on trying to understand how effective the law enforcement is and at the moment we're running a separate inquiry into Australia's corporate regulator ASIC uh, into uh, how effective it is at enforcing our laws yeah and so can you talk too about um, sort of with digital asset exchanges so capital adequacy and so forth yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, I think in terms of in terms of capital adequacy, I mean, you'd have to set you'd have to set a a bar which was which was reasonable, so that people or the organisation that wanted to seek a license have to put a reasonable sum of capital aside, yeah, uh, in Australian dollars in an Australian bank, um, so that there was you know a bit like an operational risk reserve, 
uh, a sum of money there for problems that may emerge. Yeah. Now, um, the, the the level of that we need to do some more consultation over, but the reality is there are there are hundreds of very lightly regulated digital currency exchanges in Australia today, and you know you might go down to a few dozen uh, if there was a capital adequacy requirement uh, enacted by the parliament, and um, you don't want to have it at a level which is going to deter innovation, but you've got to accept the fact that there is a cost of regulation. And the cost of the regulation is that not not everyone will be in business tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, and I think what we've seen is, you know, as you as you mentioned earlier, there, there's been a, a shadow financial services system, and that has yeah. grown up, and that's it in largely unregulated uh, environments. And so, so this is really just about saying, you know, getting back to that foundation stone that you talked about around, uh, you know, if it if it is. Uh, in financial services, uh, then they shouldn't get a regulatory free ride just because it's sort of notionally on the internet and so forth. So maybe then, so another area that is a that is problematic, if we think about digital assets, um, and so crypto is obviously one of those, but more and more, I think we're seeing with NFT technology, uh, this, this concept of a digital asset, whether it's, you know, digital collectible or whatever, um, so the concept of digital assets is starting to become more well understood and more widespread, and more are being held by Australians. Yeah. But it, it's hard for this for this business to to grow because right at the moment, custody. You know, people say, well, you should take it off into a hard wallet that has a whole range of issues for it, and you won't get mainstream adoption with uh, with hard wallets and so forth. So can you talk a little bit about how you how you see or how your bill deals with the digital asset custody side of things? Well, the custodian would have to have all the security around the holding of the digital assets in a way that would pass muster. I mean, that the details of which would be subject to some regulations. But, I mean, basically the principle would be that, you know, you have to hold uh, custody in a – of uh, other people's assets in, a, in the same way that a custodian holds assets today in the physical world. Um, so uh, in that sense, it's quite simple. I mean, there are other protocols around hot and cold walls and, and the like, which are, are unique perhaps to this sector. But, I, I mean, the idea of having a domestic custody industry is contested. I mean, I met with people who said that it will never happen. I've met with others who have said that you know, it could happen. Um, the reality is that we need to have some custody laws in place for safekeeping. Now, I don't mind if the custody is held in the United States or uh, in Britain or in Singapore. It doesn't worry me. I'm not a protectionist. But we, I think we want to, we want to have, protect consumers uh, at the first level, uh, which is the need to have the, cust- the custodial laws. Uh, the second part is an economic factor, I guess, for Australia. There's no question, though, that Australia will have successful crypto markets, um, but uh, it, you know, it remains to be seen whether or not there would be a domestic custody industry. Certainly, in terms of the physical the physical custody industry that you see supporting the managed funds and the pension fund sector in Australia, that's been very successful, yep. partly because of the size and the distortions of compulsory yep. uh, savings laws. But uh, you know, maybe there's a way that that can be drawn upon. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been an area that we've done a, a reasonable amount of work in in terms of you know uh, custody arrangements and so forth. And I think if if ultimately we say that you know crypto will go mainstream, uh, then you know funds have to be involved in that in terms of investing in it, and funds are only going to get involved if there's a mature custody. Uh, regime in place so it does seem like an area and I, I i hear you on the idea of you know maybe it's not an australian opportunity but uh you know as we've seen we we obviously have a large amount of superannuation funds and a big funds industry so it would be a shame to miss that and obviously your your bill mm. deals with that um the the final aspect of the bill which i think is is really important and and we see quite a lot of activity is in the stablecoin space, and obviously there's you know, there's uh, there's the algorithmic stablecoin. So we've we've seen that that business model fizzle out quite spectacularly. But if we think about stablecoins as a way of addressing the inherent inefficiencies of particularly bank transfers, you know, international bank transfers taking twenty four hours, thirty six hours. Um, all a little opaque, and the ability to use stablecoins. So we've seen ANZ with their stablecoin, um, and you've got JP Morgan with a stablecoin, and so forth. Um, how how do you how does your bill sort of talk about the regulation of stablecoins? The idea of stablecoin regulation is not particularly complicated. The idea is that you would have to hold reserves against the stable coins that you're issuing. So our bill would require someone who wanted to create a stable coin to firstly receive a license. And once they had the license, they would have to hold reserves against that particular uh, coin. Now, we're currently consulting on exactly how to, to do that, and there'll be another another bill we issue uh, in due course, because it is important we try and get this right. The but the, the principle is that if you want to offer a stable coin, you've got to hold the asset right. uh, against against it, which is entirely reasonable. And that, this is what the Reserve Bank of Australia's governor said to us at Senate Estimates only two weeks ago. Uh, so his coin, so the governor's coin for regulation, Janet Yellen in the US has called for this sort of regulation. Uh, but uh, yeah, the government is not has not indicated any interest in moving in this direction, uh, which I think is regrettable because. There will be future shocks. There will be market activities uh, where people are going to have problems. And there's frankly been a lot of warning about this. I mean, I think this is one of the easiest fixes yeah. in this whole digital asset space. I mean, if you could pass a law dealing with the stable coins um, in the next couple of months. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And it also strikes me as one of the areas that offers sort of most immediate benefit yeah. to, to a mainstream audience. So we, yeah, I agree. we know that, you know, there's, it's problematic the way that, you know, existing banking relationships force the, the delay in particularly international money transfers. If we could have the payment rails via stable coins, and there could be a great opportunity there for, you know, if, if it's well-regulated, you know, an Australian, so the you know the ANZ Bank stablecoin or another Australian bank stablecoin, you know, to actually become a stablecoin that is a market leader, you know, that would be would be an amazing experience. So yeah, I, I agree entirely. It does seem like 
you know, really, or the, it's never never simple, I'm sure, to get legislation um, agreed and passed. But uh, no, it would be interesting to see that. Just in terms of the bill, where where to from here? What what happens? So maybe just could you just explain for those who don't understand yeah. how a private members' bill works? What what's happening? You know, with how did it come about? What what happens from now and so forth? Yeah. So basically, we made a whole lot of commitments in government yep. that we would progress this agenda. We were not successful at the elections. Uh, and as a result, we no longer have the resources of the Treasury. Uh, I think we should progress uh, a bill. So I've released for exposure a draft bill, and we've received, I think, more than 50 submissions from various parties, and I'm currently proposing to release a second exposure draft before introducing it in the Senate as a private senator's bill in, in say, February, March next year. Um, I've decided to do another round of consultation, which I actually haven't mentioned publicly before, because I thought there was so much good feedback from the first round that there were some refinements that I wanted to make sure were exactly right before introducing it. Once it's introduced into the Senate, uh, I believe it would have a very good chance of being referred to a Senate committee, yeah. the Senate committee on, on Senate Committee on Economics, which has got an excellent chair uh, and an excellent deputy chair. Uh, and uh, that committee would would then perform a legislative review. So basically, we would then ask the parliament would then, then ask for stakeholder views, and then uh, once that report is done, then the bill would be debated in, in the Senate, and there would be a vote in the Senate. Great, and then okay, terrific. And so, uh, so, so you think uh, so? So you'll bring that out. For another round of consultation, and that that'll be presumably post Christmas. Uh, I don't know. I'm still negotiating that with the uh, Office of Parliamentary Council. Okay, they're okay. pretty. They're pretty. They're, they're, they've got a bit on, but yeah, we're <laughs> negotiating that, and they're, they're great. They're fantastic, incredible public servants, uh, brilliant uh, people to work with. And look, to be honest with you, all the people in Canberra that run the parliamentary committees are super impressive. Yeah, and they do great work. If you think about this whole whole agenda in Australia, I mean. Sure, uh, I did some of the work on it as the chair, but the the Senate Committee on Economic—sorry, that was a, a select committee. The Senate Select Committee on uh, Australia as a Financial and Tech Centre did the work on bringing together that Senate report, which has set Australia up as a real leader yeah. uh, in this whole space. So you've got to give—I uh, think it's important to pay pay tribute to their work. Um, in terms of the numbers in the Senate, I mean, we would need the Greens Party to vote for it for it to pass the Senate, and I think look, that's that that's uh, it's quite possible. Uh, I think there's a lot of concern that the the Labor government is not progressing these issues as soon as they could uh, for various reasons. Just in terms of maybe sort of pulling back with the FTX saga and so forth. Um, uh, so yeah. uh, there's a there's a sort of a narrative around that the media is loving right at the moment which is crypto is dead and so forth i mean yeah. where, where do you where do you sort of see you know what's the impact of ftx do you have any thoughts around you know what happens to the crypto world sort of medium to long well, i mean i've always made the point that i think napoleon said the english were a nation of shopkeepers <laughs> i think the, the, the australians are probably a nation of personal investors right and so people always look at this through the personal investment prism but I've always seen it as a, 
as a examination of the utility of, of the technology. And I don't think anyone seriously is saying that blockchain and cryptography is dead as a technology. I just don't believe that. Um, so that's my view. Certainly, I mean, I've just written a chapter in a book about the capability of digital assets to support emissions reduction. And I believe that there are many people who would like to have exposure to the emissions abatement projects which are happening around the world, uh, which could happen through tokenization. Just to give you one example. Now, uh, so uh, my answer is it's not dead, but if people want to look at it through a narrow personal investment prism, then they may, they may be unhappy with their current returns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I suspect that's uh, certainly, if you, if you, a, a brief run through crypto Twitter will show there's a lot of, uh, a lot of unhappiness uh, with the space generally. But I think, you know, just on that emissions um, uh, engagement opportunity, there's, uh, we had on the, um, uh, on the podcast, uh, Guy Dixon mm-hmm. from Beta Carbon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it's it's a fantastic proposition because, you know, with token yeah, assets, it's sort of, I mean, I've, I struggle to see sort of what the value proposition is of putting it on a blockchain if it's an asset class you can already get access to, you know, so you can get access to obviously shares and property in some way or another. But, we, you know, no one can invest in uh, carbon. It's very hard to get you know, clear investment into carbon. But with what, what Guy's doing with Beta Carbon and there are others, obviously, um, that's an asset class which I think is sort of very difficult to access. So it seems there's a great opportunity there with tokenization. Well, it's a locked box. I mean, if you're a typical Australian, your ability to get access to the uh, carbon credit units yeah. which are used for carbon abatement in Australia is basically zero. Yeah. I mean you've got to you've got to be set up as a as a market participant in in some weird market that is extremely expensive to get access to. So uh without wanting to be seen to spruik any particular product here, I think certainly the idea of democratizing that type of exposure has has got to be a positive. Has got to be a positive um so yeah I, th- I think it's one good example but i mean the more basic example that i used when i was running the inquiry was just that peer-to-peer lending people might not be able to get uh, finance from a bank but through smart contracts and mm. uh blockchain they can get access to finance from a peer-to-peer lending organization right so i just think like well, why wouldn't we want to give people those opportunities um obviously there's always the caveat empty point of course nick but that's that's generally in my view. We want to give people more more access to new ideas, and I think the uh, the idea of peer to peer lending or the idea of emissions uh, exposure, emissions reduction exposure, I should say, is a is a both good ideas. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, look, thank you very much, Senator, for your time, and also applying yourself to the cause in as diligent a fashion as you have. It's been great to have you know such a a proponent of uh, of sort of sensible crypto regulation so thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today thanks nick and of course i'm always happy to hear from any of my constituents in new south wales if you have a 
any uh, any feedback i even take gripes on board sometimes <laughs> well terrific and uh so thanks and, and we should take the centenarity's word so certainly uh feel free to uh, to reach out and obviously we'll keep an eye out for that next um draft of the private members bill and and best wishes with that thank you very much for your time thanks nick cheers thanks for listening to web3 from mystery to main street nothing in this podcast is legal or financial advice have a great day And remember, every organization needs a Web3 strategy.